It's okay, I got it all day. Several years ago, during a snowy Saturday morning in January, I'd been out running some errands, was coming home, but was having problems getting into my driveway. <clears throat> I turned to go in the driveway and made a little way up the hill that is our driveway, and then suddenly stopped. There was a frozen spot on the concrete, and it had snowed five or six inches on top of it. Between the frozen spot on the concrete and the pile of snow in the van, or on the, the pile of snow, the van was unable to move past a certain point in our driveway. And I tried all kinds of tricks I thought might help me to get into the driveway. I, I gunned it. I backed up and got a running start and gunned it some more. Uh, I tried all those gears in the van that I never really used. None of it worked. I was extremely frustrated about the whole situation. And what made it worse was I could see where I wanted to be. I was only a few feet away from the warmth and the dryness of my garage. I was so close and yet so far. And I realized that my tricks were not effective, so I got out to assess the situation. The smell informed me that my tires had not been terribly impressed with my efforts thus far. As I was looking around, I saw that there was a small wall of snow which built up just at the sticking point and was kind of keeping me from cresting the hill. So I shoveled it away. I put down some of the ice melting stuff that we had. And I determined that if I got a really good running start at it, I probably should make it over the hump. And I knew that once I made it over the hump, everything would be okay unless my tires suddenly caught really good and flung me into the blue car or through the garage wall, one or the other. Uh, but I, I backed up all the way to the golf course as far as I could go. And I gunned it. And I made it up and over without incident. And after I put the van in the garage, Kelly had been watching out the front door. And as I put the van in the garage, was loading the groceries, she looked at it and she said, So I take it we're not going anywhere else today. And I said, No, no, we are not. And I learned something on that cold, snowy morning. I don't like being stuck. I don't like spinning my wheels and going nowhere, which is one reason I hate the treadmill. When I push down on the gas pedal, I expect my vehicle to go somewhere, and I don't like it when it doesn't. But as bad as it is to be stuck physically, it's even worse to be stuck spiritually. It's worse to be stuck spiritually, spinning your wheels and not seeing any change in your life. And this may be the place some find ourselves at this morning. We're stuck in the same rut of sin, failure, and discouragement we've been in for weeks, months, or maybe even years. We know the changes we want to make. We, we see a place where we want to be, but no matter how hard we try, we just can't get past the sticking point of where we are. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to, to think about what it is to do when we, when we stop trying to make the changes on our own and see what God's Word has to say about how we should make changes. So open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12. It's page 883 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul writing says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil was taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit... 
Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the same Spirit of the Lord. The title of the message today is Being Transformed, Becoming Like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for the opportunity to gather Study your word to learn and to know that you can and you will transform us. Father, today there are changes that we want to make in our lives. There are changes that you want to make in our lives. And we ask you, God, to help us to cooperate with you so that we can be who you want us to be. That we can be who you've saved us to be and who you know we can be. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech so I can speak your words and your ways, but not be a hindrance in any way to what you want to accomplish in our hearts and lives today. Let what happens in here make a difference in how we live tomorrow. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And now last week we started a series called Transformed, Becoming the Me I'm Meant to Be. And the, the main thrust of the series is on the idea of sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we, we become more like Jesus. God initiates the contact. God is the one who, who does the work in our lives to help us to become more like Jesus. It's not a matter of us making a bunch of changes and doing all the right things. It's God at work in us. However, there is something we have to do in the sanctification process. We have to cooperate with God as He is at work in our lives. And it is this, this cooperation with sanctification that, that brings about the transformation in our lives. And that really is the main idea of the message today. It's cooperation with sanctification is the key to transformation. God is at work and wants to change us. God shows us things and He deals with us in certain ways. But God is not going to just grab us and shake us and hold us down until we say, Uncle. God is going to do, He is going to show us areas of our life. He wants us to change. He wants us to trust Him, to love Him, to know that His way is best, and then to make those changes. He wants us to cooperate with Him. In this passage, it gives us some ways that we are to cooperate with the process of sanctification so that we can experience transformation. The first, that I have to open my mind to the Word of God. To open my mind, the Word of God. If you look at verses 12 through 15, there, there's this idea of a veil being over the minds of the children of Israel. And the idea of the veil being over their minds is that they could not see Jesus in the Scripture. Right? The veil was something that kept them from seeing Christ and turning to Him for salvation and all that He offered. Right? And so... We see it talks about that as the Moses was read, that veil was over their mind. And, and just the idea with that is they could not see Jesus in Scripture. And since they could not see Jesus in Scripture, they missed the understanding of Scripture. It kept them from coming to, to believe in Him. It kept them from coming to know Him and to live for Him. And as I was initially studying the passage, I thought that was kind of the only real application. That a veil over the mind was something that unbelievers had that kept them from turning to Christ for salvation. And certainly it's applied that way in chapter 4. But as I was studying it more, I began to realize that Paul is not only talking about a veil that can be over the mind of an unbeliever to keep them from coming to Christ, but a veil that would be over the mind of a believer and would keep them from getting the right understanding of Scripture. 
Right? I mean, there are things that, that can cloud our thinking, so to speak, and keep us from properly understanding Scripture. And when we don't properly understand Scripture, we don't respond in the way that Scripture needs us to respond. And so not having a right understanding, it keeps us from being transformed and becoming the people that Christ wants us to be. So let me show you just a few of the things that, that can veil our minds. One is arrogance. Right? When arrogance veils our mind, it causes us to believe that we're already right about everything. And a person whose mind is veiled with arrogance, they do not come to the Scripture with a desire to learn and to grow. They're not coming to Scripture saying, let me know more about Christ, let me know Christ better, let me be more about more like Christ. Instead, a person who comes to the Scripture with their mind veiled in arrogance says, I already know what's right, show me something to confirm it. Show me something that proves that I'm already right about what I believe. They're not desiring any changes, they're not desiring anything except to show I'm right. Now, what happens with this is, when we see something in Scripture that contradicts the way we believe, the the way that we think, or the way that we act, we'll say, that's not right. How do I know it's not right? Because it's not what I do. And I'm already right. So, an arrogant mind, arrogance is a veil that blinds our minds to Scripture. Another one is, is wishful thinking. When wishful thinking veils our mind, we see what we want to see And nothing else. A mind that is blinded by wishful thinking only sees things that that comfort them in the way that they are. A mind that is blinded by wishful thinking sees grace, but misses the passages that tell us thou shalt or thou shalt not. Those the mind that is blinded by wishful thinking sees God loves us. But misses the parts that said, God loves us too much to leave us as we are. The mind that is veiled by wishful thinking. It sees all this about God's love, mercy. But it misses everything about judgment and wrath. The wishful thinking. It sees God's acceptance. But it misses God's standards. And as long as we come to the Scripture with wishful thinking, what we do is we just kind of push everything away that doesn't fit what we've already got. Oh, that's just, gosh, I I just believe God is just all good and that, that can't be right. We tend to overlook or find ways around the wishful thinking. And then there's just just flat out disobedience. I mean, the other two will always try to find a reason why they do what they do. The disobedient, they're not really trying to to change anything. They're not really trying to argue. They're just not going to do it. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. They've got in their mind that this is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to live. This is what they believe. And no amount of Scripture is ever going to change that. Those who have their mind veiled with, with disobedience... They say things like, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but but here's what I believe. And if they're shown what the Bible says, they may say, well, well, I don't care what the Bible says. Here's what I believe. A mind that is veiled by disobedience will say things like, I just can't imagine God caring about, and you just insert their area of disobedience. 
They, they, they always find a reason. But in the end, their reason boils down to the fact they're just not going to do it. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. Doesn't matter what you can show them. They're not changing anything. Their hearts, their minds are not open to God's word. Now, what's dangerous about this is that any of us can fall into this kind of a trap. Any of us. I mean, if we have studied scripture for a period of time, it's easy to become arrogant to think that we know it. Been to church all my life. I've always been in Sunday school. I read through the Bible every year. Obviously, I I know what I'm talking about. I know what the Bible says. Wishful thinking. I mean, who doesn't want to just focus on the stuff that makes us feel good and ignore the stuff that challenges the way we think and believe and act? And disobedient. And again, I don't think any of us, very few people that would claim to be Christians will just say, I ain't going to do it. But what we'll do is we will say, I just don't think that's right. Well, what is right? Well, I don't know. And I'm not going to find out. But I don't think that is. And because I don't think it's right, I don't have to do it. I don't have to make any changes. Any of us can very easily fall into any of these these traps. And in fact, I would say, if you're here today, and, and it's been a while since God has dealt with you from Scripture about something, where you have had to work to make a change, I would wonder if you could see yourself in one of these areas. right? Because God is always at work, and He is always wanting to change, and His Word is always central to the way that He does that. And if it's been a long time, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ since God has dealt with me, and I've had to work to make a change, unless, unless I'm like Jesus, then something else is wrong. And it's not God that puts the burden on me. Now, if we think, well, maybe my mind is veiled. I always do find a reason why this doesn't apply to me, why I don't have to do it. How do I I get the veil off, so to speak? Well, the answer is found in verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. See, if we want to have the veil taken away from our minds so that our hearts can be open to the word of God, it can be. God wants us to understand His Word. He wants us to see how it applies to our life. He he wants us to embrace it and to make the changes that will help us be more and more like Jesus. Now, what does it mean, though, to turn to the Lord for help? To turn to the Lord for help, first, it means we come in humility. We can't go to the Lord for help saying, God, I already know all the answers. Just show me I'm right. That's arrogance. Turning to the Lord, opening our our minds to the Word of God, means we go to God and we say, I don't know it all. Now we may say, I have an idea of how things ought to be, but I don't know it all. It also means coming with an attitude of submission. right? Now submission is tough. Because submission to God means that we come to God saying, whatever you say is right, is right. And whatever you say to do, I'll do. Whatever that is. And the thing that makes submission tough is that it's not submission until we don't want to do it. Did you ever realize that? I mean, it's easy to submit to what you want to do. 
This afternoon, I'm going to submit to watching Lost on Netflix. It's going to be a tough sacrifice, but I'm going to make that for my family who I know want to watch that. That's not tough. Watching Downtown Abbey, that would be an act of submission that would be a great sacrifice on my part. (laughs) Doctor Who's awesome. There's no... (sighs) Right? It's not submission until we don't want to do it. If God says, make this change, and it's like, but I don't want to make that change. Ah, now we're getting into the area of submission. Now I'm saying, who is Lord? Who is the servant? Who is the master? Who is the slave? We come to God with an air of submission. That is how we open our heart to God's word. We open our heart to God's word by coming to God's word and saying, I don't know everything there is to know about anything. And God, whatever you show me, I'll believe and I'll do. And I'll change this even if it, I'll do this even if it affects my current belief system. I'll do this even if it affects my current lifestyle. I'll do this even if it affects my priorities. And anything else in my life, my life belongs to you. And I will be and I will do anything that you want me to be. And then I will do anything that you want me to do. That is how we open our hearts to God's word. And if we want to experience transformation that God wants to bring into our lives... We have to cooperate with sanctification. And that requires us to open our hearts to the Word of God. Secondly, we must surrender to the Spirit of God. Verse 17 says, Now where the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. See, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He begins to work it into our lives. He begins to show us things in our lives that need to be changed. Ways that we need to do it. And that's, again, a huge thing. Because we never... Anytime we understand Scripture, anytime it speaks to our lives, that's always God. I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever maybe... It's happened to you, you've come to a church service and the message dealt with exactly what you were going through in life. Maybe it dealt with a a sin you were trying to hide. It answered a question you had been wrestling with. There was a particular problem and it showed you how to overcome it. I know for me, when I first got out of the army, I was really committed to the Lord after that. It seemed like all the time, I I asked the preacher once, I said, man, are you just like following me around? Are you like a stalker following me around? And Stacy did this, need to preach on that this week. I mean, because every week it was just like, it was going right to my heart and dealing right with my life. And what I found out is, the preacher didn't follow me around and, and take notes on my life. He prayed, and he studied, and he preached. And the Spirit of God took the Word of God and dealt with me in the areas in which I needed to be dealt with. Right? Because God knows all about our lives. God not only knows the actions we take, but God knows the motivations behind the actions. And He cares about the motivations behind the actions. God not only knows the words that we say, but the thoughts that we think but never express. And He cares about the thoughts that we think. And never express. 
And since God knows all of that about us, He is able to take the Word of God through the Spirit of God, and it began to poke us where we need to be poked. To deal with us exactly in the places we need to be dealt with. Anytime the Word of God deals with us, it is the Spirit of God taking it and saying, you need this. This is something I've observed in your life that needs to change. Here's what the Bible says. Make a change. And in that moment, We have a decision to make. How will I respond? And make no mistake, we always respond. If God deals with us from Scripture, we always respond. And I believe we respond in one of three ways. We respond anger and rebellion. The book of Acts tells us a story about Stephen being called to give an account for preaching about Jesus. And as Stephen began to tell them about Jesus, he took the long way around. He started at Abraham and worked his way down. And at the end of his message, it tells us how they responded to him telling them about Christ. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Right, So the Spirit of God had taken the Word of God and dealt with them when they needed to be dealt with. And they, they gnashed at him with their teeth. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Right? When God dealt with them and they were convicted, rather than seeing that there's a problem in their life that needed to be changed, they got mad at the guy who told them about it. Who are you to talk to me that way? Who is he to be so judgmental? How can he dare talk to us like that? Anger and rebellion. It's a very often response to the Word of God being used by the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and dealing with our lives. Another one is apathy. And apathy is simply just not caring. Look at what happened during Ezekiel's day. God told Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and the doors of their houses. And they speak to one another. Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. Now, if it stopped right there, we'd think this is perfect. Right? Ezekiel gets up, to, is going to preach, and everybody says, tell us to a friend, invites them to church. That's what we want people to do. Let's invite everybody to church so they can come and, and hear the word of God. But it goes on. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. They hear your words, they do not do them. Now, if you've read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's message wasn't one of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Ezekiel's message was one of, here's what the law says, here's the many, many ways that you're wrong, repent, or God's going to send judgment. And so they came, and they listened to Ezekiel preach a message of repentance. And and if they did not repent, they would face judgment. And it didn't make them mad. They didn't get mad at Ezekiel. They knew that's what the law said. The law did say that. they had Sure, they had agreed to that. But they didn't change either. Instead, it was like, wow, that was, that was a okay. He put on a good show today. 
It, it didn't. It didn't offend them. It didn't change them. They simply did not care, one way or another. And we see the response of apathy many times in our culture as well. The Word of God deals with us about something in our life that we know needs to be changed. And it's not that we can say, well, I don't believe that way. We know that's what the Bible says. And we know the Bible's right. We just don't care. Now, we're not mad that it was said, but we're not going to change anything about our lives either. Meh, whatever. Now, this is why people can come to church and hear that the very sin they're living in preached against. And then, rather than repent, they walk out and like, it was a good message. Right? And they go on about their way. They had a good show. That's all that they came for, the response of apathy. But then, there's a response of brokenness, repentance, and obedience. We see this in the book of Acts as well. Peter stands up to preach on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches about Jesus. As he gets to the end of the message, the people said this. We heard this. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Same conviction. Same Holy Spirit. Same word of God. The response is completely different. Notice there's no arrogance there. I know what to do. Notice there's no wishful thinking there. I'm okay like I am. Notice there's no disobedience there. I'm not going to do it. Humble submission. Whatever you want me to do. What, what do I do? And the implication is whatever you, you want me to do, that I'll do. Right? In, the, in the first two, their hearts and their minds were not open to the Word of God. And they had no intention of surrendering to the Spirit of God. But these folks... Their hearts were open to the Word of God. They were absolutely going to surrender to the Spirit of God and what He had, to, and he had for them in their lives. They wanted whatever it took. Whatever God wanted them to do, that is what they were willing to do. If you want to cooperate with sanctification so that you can experience transformation, you always have to do more than read the Bible or hear the Bible. You have to to do the Bible. You have to make the changes the Holy Spirit deals with you about. Transformation occurs. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, deals with us in our life, and then we cooperate with that, make a decision of faith, brokenness, repentance, and obedience, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's important because without... Without this, without the obedience, there's no transformation. That there is no change. I mean, let's be honest. Many of us, don't we want to change without having to change? Right? We, we want to be good runners without having to run. We, we want to be strong without having to go to the gym. We want to lose weight without having to diet. We want to be like Jesus and continue on just the way that we are. That's just not how the world works. At some point, change has to occur, and that requires us to do something. And in the process of sanctification, that something is obey God. Submit to the Spirit of God as He deals with us from the Word of God. And without 
that, nothing ever changes. And, and, and I don't know if I can 100% prove this from Scripture, but I'll tell you how it's worked in my life. In my life, God has dealt with me about one thing until I cooperated about that one thing. If God dealt with me uh, about a need to start doing something, He never dealt with me about anything else until I started to do it. My, my unwillingness to do what God wanted me to do stunted my growth. It stopped my sanctification. It, it kept me from progressing. And I can't prove that's the way God does it in your life, but I'm pretty sure it is. Right now, there are some of you, and you are just like you have been for the last ten years of your Christian life. There has been no change, no difference. And in part of you, you wonder why, but there's also a part of you that knows there's an area that God has been dealing with you about all this time. And you have refused to surrender to the Spirit of God. And until you work on that area, you are going to stay just like you are. If we want to experience transformation, we have to cooperate with sanctification. And that requires us to submit, surrender to the Word of God. And then finally, you have to focus on the Son of God. When I was in the, the 101st Airborne Division, which we all know is the world's most powerful division, we'd go to the field. And as infantry soldiers, you spend a lot of time out in the woods. You spend sometimes 30 to 45 days or more. Out in the woods at a time, and you did it, whether it was summer, winter, spring, or fall, it didn't really matter. If it was your time to go to the woods, you went. And when you spend 45 days out in the woods, in the hills of Kentucky and Tennessee, in 100 degree weather and 100 percent humidity, carrying packs and digging holes and crawling around, something happens to you, a change occurs. You stink. And you stink a lot. Not just a little bit, it's a big stink. And if you're lucky... You get to shower once. Like we, one time we were out in the field for like 50 days. We took one shower 25 days in. Uh, when you come in from the woods, a lot of times you just throw your uniforms away and go get new ones because they can't be fixed. They are just too funky to be, to be ever cleaned again. And when we came in and were released, we had a, a, a routine that we went through. And we, we took off our dirty clothes and we either threw them away or put them aside to be washed. Took about two or three showers. You... You put on something that's not camouflage, and then you go to eat at a local steakhouse that was just off post. And, we all, and you always got the same thing. You got this great big steak with a great big baked potato and a great big order of shrimp cocktail. I don't know why that was what they got when I got there, so I just kept it on. And you eat this great big meal that didn't come out of a brown plastic bag, and you get really full. I mean, you're just like bloated full because it's a huge meal. You go back to the common area of your barracks, and the way it's set up is there's like four rooms on a floor. One here, one there, one there, one there. Then in between is a common area with chairs. And we just sit around and, and talk about the field problem we'd just come off of. We talk about what we'd done in the past. And, and we really weren't motivated to do much else but sit and talk about what had been. And we called it, we called it being fat and happy. Right? So we were full of real food. We were clean. We were content the way we are. I think something similar happens to us in the Christian life. We, we turn to Christ in repentance and faith. And He begins to deal with us and change us in our lives. And we, we get to a certain point, And we get pretty content with us the way that we are. And, and, and instead of 
still making changes and still doing what the Lord wants us to do. We, we sort of sit around and we talk about how things used to be. What things were like. What's God doing in your life today? Well, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about what happened last year. Let's talk about what happened three years ago. A prayer God answered then. A time God spoke to me there. We're, we're, we're spiritually, we're fat and we're happy. And, and that's a problem. Because complacency, it, it lead, comfort leads to complacency. Complacency leads to apathy. And we can't be apathetic and we can't be complacent because look at what it says in verse 18. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And here's what he's saying. We're looking at Jesus, and that's what we're being transformed into. See, the goal of the Christian life isn't to be moral. The goal of the Christian life isn't to be generous. It isn't to be kind. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. And when we're like Jesus, we'll be moral. We'll be kind. We'll be generous. We'll be like Jesus. So that's why there's no reason for complacency. That's why there's no reason or no, no place for apathy. Right? There is always more change to be occurred in. And this is absolutely what God wants from our lives. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you know one of the hardest things for us as American Christians to accept is? God doesn't care about our comfort all that much. God doesn't care nearly as much about our preferences as we do. God doesn't care nearly as much about our pleasure as we do. God cares about two main things in our lives. Our salvation and our sanctification. And so God does what it takes to bring us to a place where we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus. And then from that point on, He begins to work in our lives to bring us to a place that we are more and more like Jesus. And that process starts on the day that we're saved. And unless we meet or meet God, we die and go to be with Him or He comes back, that process continues. See, the only reason any of us could say, I'm comfortable where I'm at, is if you can legitimately say, I am just like Jesus. My friend, if you are not just like Jesus, you should not be comfortable. You should not be complacent. You should not be apathetic. We have to focus on Him so that we can become more like Him. In the Army, when you're at basic training and it looks like you're going to graduate, they give you... Some stuff for your dress uniforms. They give you brass. And if you're in the infantry, you get one that says U.S. on it, and you get one that has crossed rifles on it. Crossed rifles, the symbol of the infantry. And because they're brass, they're kind of shiny. And you drop them. And they're kind of shiny, but they have this lacquer-like finish over them that makes it dull. And the army being the army, a dull finish is not good enough. And you have to shine these bad boys up. And so you, you get a couple of rags, you get some brasso, and you go to work. And you spend hours, hours. Roger, did you ever shine some brass for hours and hours? <laughs> it's cheating to have your wife do it. <laughs> but you shine them, and you shine them. And it's not a one-time deal. 
The thing about brass is that shine kind of goes away after a while. It's fingerprints on it, gets other junk, and you have to shine. It's just a constant process, shining them and getting them shinier. And the thing is, can you guess how you know when you've got them shiny enough? What's the, what's the test? You look at it, and if you can clearly see yourself in the brass, it should be good enough to pass inspection. But until then, you just keep working. In a lot of ways, sanctification is God getting the lacquer finish off of us. He's working and he's working until we're shiny enough. And what he wants is he wants to look at us and see his reflection shining back in our character, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our nature, really just in all of us. And that's why we focus on the Son of God. We keep the goal in mind. We look at ourselves and we look at Jesus and we say, not there yet. No room for complacency. So I need to open my heart to the Word of God. I need to continue to surrender to the Spirit of God. And I need to always focus on the Son of God. And in the end, that's what it means to cooperate with sanctification. And that is the key to transformation. Without those three elements, we'll never become more like Jesus. We will never get past the sticking point. We'll stay stuck. So I want to ask you today, are you growing and becoming more like Jesus? Do you see change in your life? And if not, why not? Are you, is your mind veiled to the Word of God through one reason or another? Is there an area of your life you know that the Spirit of God is dealing with you about, but you have yet to cooperate with? Or maybe you've just got the wrong goal in mind. You're focused on something other than Christ. I don't make a whole lot of promises, this always happens kind of stuff. But I'll promise you. If you open your heart to the Word of God and say, whatever you say is right, whatever you say I'll do. If you surrender to the Spirit of God and you actually follow through with the commitment you made when you opened your heart to the Word of God. And you keep yourself focused on the Son of God. There will be transformation that you experience in your life. You will get past the sticking point. And growth will happen. You will become more and more of the me that God has saved you to be. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.